she was a tall whiskey glass and I was an old hound dog that just loved to chase his tail. Welcome to another episode of Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited. My name is Corey Morissette, joined as always by Scotty Too Hotty, the sexiest man in podcasting, Scott Haskett. How you doing, Scott? Well, Corey, I'm doing great, my friend. How are you? Oh, not as good as you. Never as good as you. I, I log out of these calls, and and you're just glowing. You're you're effervescent. You got that that million dollar smile, and I think, man, my life must suck in comparison to Scott Haskin. Well, I don't know what you're on, and I don't do drugs, but I'll have twenty dollars worth of that. <laughs> Speaking of drugs, do you know the name of that uh, the song that I took uh, that Aerosmith quote from? I do not. Song called Blind Man from the uh, Big One's Greatest Hits compilation. One we have not done yet on Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited, uh, but we have to address something that one of our listeners uh, pointed out, and that's our good friend Michael Green, who said, uh, Since we got rid of the shit disturber, uh, Mr. Mariano, we've been agreeing too much, and we have oh. to change that. So, I disagree. Um, this was. This was before the, uh, the the Kevin Brown episode aired, so hopefully Kevin Brown is enough of a shit disturber to kind of bring that element back, but we, we just got to start fighting more, so uh, I don't know. I hate all your choices. There you go. What do you think um, of that? Grr. And we're good. I, I got to start somewhere. <laughs> and, and I've let it go. You know what? It's just we, we've had a lot of great songs lately, yeah. uh, pretty well, much ever know, since. I, I, I think that that we, even though you and I, in, in our overall tastes, are very different, I think when it comes to this kind of music, I think we're very similar. Yeah, I agree. And so and I'm, I'm sorry, Mike, but um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll I, I'm never shy of stating my opinion, but uh, I, I, I think part of it too is that we've been on a streak of good songs. We haven't. We've only had one bad song in a while, so. I think that might have something to do with it too. I'm even trying to think of the last like bad, bad song. It may have been the live track actually, Hole in My Soul was the one where I really just kind of went, eh. I know you guys uh, weren't really a fan of Nine Lives, but uh, yeah, Nine I, Lives, I, I think was, was the last I, one. And Jig Is yeah, Up was kind, of a, kind it was okay. of a disappointment. Yeah. Well, yeah. considering that album, I thought it was a breath of fresh air actually, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm still, uh, I have to say, Corey, I'm still a little exhausted from the recent Van Halen live stream. That was a lot of fun. Holy cow, is that a thing, huh? What we're doing, folks, on the on the Van Halen show, if you don't know, is uh, we're doing like we're doing Aerosmith, and we're breaking down each track, uh, you know, one at a time, randomly. Uh, but we finished off our album on the Van Halen show, which was Fair Warning. So we had a big live show featuring some special guests like Chris L. from Pot of Thunder and from the Van Halen News Desk and Scott Haskin, of course. And uh, we went live on a Saturday night and uh, we just uh, went through our rankings and we actually tabulated votes on the rankings of Fair Warning and we set our official rankings and the show went in almost three hours. So I'm a little tired from that one too, to be honest with you. It was only 48 hours ago and I'm still tired. Well, I'll tell you what, if you're listening to this show and you want to hear some disagreement, uh, tune to that <laughs> when it airs. <laughs> I, I was definitely the monkey in the wrench on that show, I have to say. But it was hilarious. I loved it. So, yeah, go check that out on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it's called End the Podcast Will Rock. But we're talking Aerosmith tonight. Things are getting exciting in the world of Aerosmith, too. As we record this, Scott, uh, we're, I think, a, a week in the future. 
but we're just a few days away from Aerosmith kicking off their Peace Out Tour. The alleged, and I say alleged because bands have burned me before, but it's supposed to be their final tour ever. Now, I've heard little rumblings that this initial set of dates may not be the last set of dates on this tour. There may be a European run. They may be, maybe we'll do another North American run perhaps next year. So... Uh, this may not be peace out right now because we, we were kind of looking at, at the at the dates and they finish off January 26th in Montreal. And we're like, Montreal? Like, the Kiss is finishing their alleged farewell tour in New York, which makes sense. They're right. from New York. Yeah. You would think the Bad Boys of Boston would do their last show in Boston, not yeah. Montreal of all places, the, the least Boston-y place in North America. So maybe it's that way though because this isn't actually the end there may be another leg or two on the peace out tour which means scott maybe they'll hit vegas one more time very possibly i wouldn't if the boston garden is still standing if they haven't uh, relocated that to a newer stadium I, that seems like the perfect spot for their their farewell show um i think part of it too might be they might not want to book ahead too much until they see how everybody's feeling, how the tour is going, not from a ticket sales standpoint, but just from a how are they handling it standpoint. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if the original Boston Garden is still standing. Uh, it was in the 90s anyway. They're, they're uh, you know, uh, TD Bank Stadium, I, I think is the new one. Okay. Uh, sorry, the, TD Garden. The, uh, the Bruins play, I, I would think, would be a, a pretty good venue. Yeah, it is. And, and they play there hundreds of times. It's TD Garden is where the Bruins play now. But I don't know if the old Garden, the, the old Boston Garden is still standing or, or, or not. But you, you got to think the last show's in Boston, right? Like, I mean, yeah. that's just a just a no-brainer. But I'm holding out hope. Maybe some Canadian dates. Maybe a Minnesota date I can get down to the States. That's only 12 hours away. Well, actually, they're doing St. Paul on November 13th. But I've already got tickets to Kiss, so I can't uh, catch Aerosmith how, that day. How far is Montreal for you? Oh, that's a two-day drive. Yeah, it's oh, quite a ways. Okay. Yeah, Canada's don't, pretty big, Scott. It yeah. is. It's are, are huge. You, don't be one of those Americans and say, "Oh, you're from Canada." How do you know Colin from Toronto? You're like, oh yeah, sure, I know. <laughs> Fuck. Everybody. Toronto's just a city of six million people. Yeah. Oh, not at all. Well, I mean, I remember I used to live right across the border in uh, just outside Detroit. And um, but I, I've lost kind of my relevance of how far things are, and partly because it's so vast. And, and the further north you go heading towards Alaska, there's just so much land like Canada's really big. Second largest landmass on the planet. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, it would be quite a hike to get to Montreal. Plus, everybody speaks French and uh, us Westerners. We don't like uh, the French Canadian so much. Well, I know they I know they do in Montreal, but how how common is French across the board, really? Not as common. Like we Canada has two official languages. Uh, it's why we can't get certain things from America and Canada, because everything in Canada has to be printed twice in English oh. and in French. Mm -hmm. So if you're a company like Coca-Cola, they can't just manufacture Coke in Georgia and ship it up to Canada. It has to have Canadian packaging with French language writing on it and stuff. It's a real pain in the ass. I well, hate that's it. Right. It would cost you $72 to ship a can up to Saskatchewan anyway. It, it might at this point. Holy cow. Yeah, I was looking at getting a, a Blu-ray shipped from America, and it's like, is this really going to cost me $35 to ship a... Uh, that's more than the Blu-ray's worth. Oh, no. Send it to me, and I can I can ship it out to you for less than that. <laughs> I just shipped uh, two CDs to uh, to our good friend Sean McGinnity today. We're, we're doing a nice. CD trade, and it was, I think, $13 from here to Winnipeg, so that's not too bad. Not bad at all. You're going to like your yeah. CDs. Uh, he sent me a, a, a couple of his discs as well, one from Dome and one with him and his, and his brother Todd, and good, good stuff. 
Good rock and roll. I, I listened to a little uh, Bandcamp stuff, and uh, I, I, I really liked what I heard. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting the CDs. They're talented, those McGinnity boys. Tell you, they'll be disappointed in your stuff, I'm sure, but their stuff is really yeah. good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always happy to help, Scott. What do you say we uh, we get into it this week? Yeah. Of course, last week we, 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 well, we had the guest last week, so we had the different set of dice, right? So, mm-hmm. um, geez, I'm horribly unprepared. i got to log in and tell you what's on the dice. Actually, we got... Uh, think about it from Night in the Ruts. Never loved a girl from Honkin' on Bobo. We all fall down from music from another dimension. Out of your head from Just Push Play. Roadrunner from Honkin' on Bobo. And something from music from another dimension. Scott Haskin, uh, out of those six, uh, what are you in the mood for, my friend? You know, I, I, I'm anxious to hear the song something, but I have to admit, there, there's a little sliver of disappointment um, that that isn't a Beatles cover. Because I, I would be really interested to hear how Stephen would sing that. Um, I want to say, uh, I don't know, I'm feeling energetic. I'm going to go with Roadrunner from Honkin' on Bobo. Oh, you read my mind. I really want to hear some Roadrunner. I, right. I dig that track so much. And, uh, you know, Never Loved a Girl is Lower Temple, obviously. I think Something is as well. I don't know music from another dimension as well as I do the other albums. And Night in the Ruts, I wouldn't mind uh, rolling and think about it either. But, um, you know, we just had some older stuff not that long ago. Of course, last mm-hmm. week was Permanent Vacation in Samaria. But I, I say we go all the way back and get some Roadrunner. That's what I'm hoping for. So if there's nothing else, I'll play the clip and we'll toss this dice. You ready? I disagree with that. Toss of the And we come up with Roadrunner. We got it tonight here, Scott yes. Haskin. Roadrunner from Honkin' on Bobo. Um, do you know anything about the album Honkin' on Bobo? I, other than whatever we've played off of it, uh, no. And what have we played? I can tell uh, you. You Gotta Move, I think, was the only one. And You Gotta Move is really, really good. I, I wanted to keep that on the dice for a long, long time. It's uh, for an Aerosmith cover. Uh, it's fantastic. And we're getting a great one here. This is a Bo Diddley song. Uh, you know a little bit about Bo, don't you? Not much. Um, I, I, Whenever I hear Bo Diddley, I just immediately think banjo, and I have no idea whether that's actually right or not. I, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know about a banjo, but uh, this is a, a standard 12-bar blues song uh, performed by uh, Bo Diddley in uh, 1960 originally. Uh, it was re- uh, later released on the LP Bo Diddley in the Spotlight. It reached number 20 on Billboard Magazine's Hot R&B Sides chart and 75 on the Hot 100. Um, there, there's a lovely little beep beep in the chorus that you'll uh, they'll harken you back to some Looney Tunes days. But um, this is just a great, great blues cover of a Bo Diddley song. I'm ready to get into it. Are you? Let's do it. All right. We're going to take you to a... Uh, an album that's not really listened to, and it really should be. It's pretty bloody good. All the way back to 2004. This is the lead-off track to Honkin' on Bobo, Roadrunner. So, so that was what... Uh, there, there was a great A&E special, uh, I, I think called You Gotta Move, actually, that had uh, the band uh, performance clips from a show from this tour and behind-the-scenes stuff. So you got to see how things work behind the scenes on an Aerosmith show. And, and that was that was the uh, the motto of the of the tour. Everybody would, before a show, would like get in a huddle and say, all right, let's go see the elephant. 
Hmm. Why? I'm not exactly sure. Maybe somebody out there can uh, can clue us in. I'm not sure where uh, Let's Go See the Elephant came from, but cool way to start the song. I, I got to think that's some kind of inside joke. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it had to have come from somewhere. Although with these guys, you, you never know. They're pretty creative. Uh, they've done a lot of drugs, so you just really never know. But I, I like that uh, I like that Carnival Barker feel to it. it it's kind of nice. I love that sound at the beginning. I don't know if that was the bass guitar. It sounded like a distorted bass because that was a pretty low frequency. It was. I, I thought maybe it was Joe uh, riding oh, or something, be. but I have no idea. I have to try and do a little more little more research on that. We'll see if I can dig that up for you. Let's listen to a little more Roadrunner first. Sure. Um, I can't hear the bass as much as I would like because I, you know, I was about to stop you in, in getting ready to do my weekly. I love the bass on the song, but uh, it's not as prominent as I would like, especially for a, you know, a, a blues song like this. It really helps to have that low end pushing a little bit. Uh, I do love the drum sound. I think the drums sound fantastic. But this is basically a Peter Gunn so far. In, in a way, yep. Uh, it has a lot to, to borrow from, 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 yeah, very standard. 12 bar blues. Uh, you're not getting much better than that, but you got the big, big Joey Kramer drums from like a permanent vacation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this uh, Joe Douglas came back uh, and, and produced this with uh, Steven Tyler, Joe Perry, and Marty Fredrickson, longtime collaborator of Aerosmith. And uh, big guitars on this one, too, which I was a big fan of, especially that dare, 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 dare. And then when the drums yeah. kick in and just everything's just boisterous and Stephen gave us a great demon of scream and howl leading into the first verse he did and you know it's it's uh what what would you call that sound like a rockabilly guitar almost we're at the beginning yeah well even even just during the verse because it doesn't have the regular sound that we usually hear from joe perry it's 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 a little more uh i i'm, I'm wanting to say rockabilly is the right term um uh, but maybe not no, very well. I know there's a, a section in that documentary. I'll, I'll try and look it up after of them recording this song, and maybe we can see what kind of guitar he's playing. So I'll, I'll try and bring that up when we're done here. He might be playing with a slide. Uh, he is at some point. Okay. When, when we get to his solo section, there, there's actually a section where each member of the band kind of kind of takes a takes a run, and I'm pretty sure Joe is all slide. So. Oh, okay. So that, that's the first of one of, the, of two uh, sections where each member of the band gets a turn. That was pretty cool. 
I, I like that. They're they're just really only getting a, a like what three seconds each, but uh, they're making good use of it. And man, do those toms sound good! And what'd you think of that nice uh, fuzzy sounded bass? I really dug that. Really dug that. And that that kind of leads me back to maybe that opening was the bass guitar because that's a pretty heavy fuzzy bass uh, that we yep. don't get normally. Um, but but that that kind of maybe solidifies my argument that that's bass in the intro. No, it very well could be. Yep. Now that I've heard the bass, uh, I'm coming around to your way of thinking. Before we get into the uh, into the Joe solo, uh, what are you thinking? Um, I I was kind of disappointed there was no uh, no real drum fill in that one, but everything else was like competing effect. Look what I could do with my instrument. Oh yeah, look what I could do with mine. And and I like <laughs> that kind of escalating uh, battle back and forth. That was really nice. But uh, I, I was kind of expecting a, a bigger drum part in there somewhere, and they just you just kind of hit a couple kicks each time. So yeah, that was weird. Yeah. But you know what? Uh, four guys playing together in a room, and Stephen is uh, in the same building. He's in a vocal booth, but you can still see the guys. They're technically all together, but he's uh, separated a little bit for vocal. Uh, but uh, that, they wanted to record the album this way because they they wanted to get you know some guitar coming through the the drum mics, and you know some drum coming through the bass mic, and like all that yeah. stuff. Right? They wanted that bleed through and get that old style recording. That's they did the whole album this way, and uh, I'm a huge huge fan of it. Well, I was going to say that that probably explains why it feels so live to me, um, partly because if they if they weren't really relying on, OK, we're going to get a scratch track and then everybody will come in and redo their parts. Um, they're really using the the energy in the room and everybody really playing together and reading each other in the moment. Uh, but also that that style of recording, that is probably why it sounds like it's a live track on a stage. I mean, they had the kind of a little bit of crowd noise in there at the beginning, but um, that bleed through will really make that difference because you're getting Absolutely. guitars in several different tones blended together as you would live. So, mm -hmm. uh, no, that's a really interesting way to record it. It explains a lot. Mr. Joe Perry, Mr. Scott Haskin, what do you think? I love that sound. Um, Wasn't that there great? Was a, there was a tone in there that, that reminded me of almost the, the, the sound that Frank Zappa used to get with that delay and that, that particular echo that he used to use a lot. I'm thinking on songs like Joe's Garage, and um, I, I really dug that blended into the solo, but that was a great solo. That, that was some nice playing. Oh, he was killing it. Like, the band's really cooking here. Like, for, for being 2004, you think... 
Aerosmith past their prime. You know, they, they you know, obviously they're a great up through uh, get a grip. Uh, Nine Lives was kind of hit and miss. Um, Just Push Play didn't do that great. It, everyone kind of thought, oh, they're kind of, you know, on the decline again. But uh, to me, like, just getting five guys in a room and, and just jamming out to some of their favorite old blues standards, uh, this is peak Aerosmith for me. Like, if I was going to put a cover on a mixtape, it might be something from this record because they are just, they're they're killing it. Do you think the reason it didn't do well was just by the virtue it was a cover album and people didn't really want to give it a chance? Oh, yeah. And it, it was a blues cover album, right? So everyone's like, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to hear an old Bo Diddley song, right? So right. Uh, all the people that kind of grew up on, like even the the guys who grew up, uh, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s were like, oh, that's not really my cup of tea. You know, I want to hear Crying and Crazy and Amazing, not Roadrunner or I Never Loved a Girl or something like that, or, or Jesus is on the main line. Like, like you know, the, that's not a, a title that's going to go out and, and, you know, strike you if you're a younger listener. But uh, for, for fans of blues rock, which I, I certainly count myself among them, uh, the, the, this is peak, peak Aerosmith here for me. I, I like that they're taking something that's so basic and making it so enjoyable. You know, they're they're throwing in little things. They're they're putting a lot of flavor into something where typically this is just let's just do the da 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 thing and then we'll put some good lyrics over it and uh, we'll throw in a, a flashy solo and be done. But they're really turning this into something that is is very special and very Aerosmith, and uh, and I like that because if if you just would have said this was you know it was basically the rhythm of Peter Gunn, I would have gone oh god all right well let's get through it <laughs> you know because that just doesn't sound appealing to me. But what they're doing with it is is really fantastic. Well, and this is a band that's kind of re-energized because uh, I found a quote from Joe Perry here that he said, quote, we wanted to do something we haven't done before and that excites us. That's what makes us want to do another record. Otherwise, we'd say, okay, we've done everything we can do, so why bother even going in again? So they just all reconvened at uh, Joe's Ranch just outside Boston uh, at the Boneyard and uh, in the Briar Patch, and, uh, and two great names for studios, by the way. And uh, and they just, you know, put on a whiteboard a bunch of songs, eh? and they just blasted them out, everybody in a room. And I think it turned out great. This uh, I think it sounds phenomenal. Band's cooking. Steven's scre- uh, Steven is screaming and singing fantastic. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. I would hope we have a discussion. I'm not holding out hope, but you never know. Um, I disagree with all of that. And, Perfect. Bastard. <laughs> but, you know, I think... I think I remember when I, on my other show, when I interviewed a band called Mythos, who's a Canadian band, and uh, they're a very uh, sort of world new age category. It's it's kind of hard to exactly pen them down because they really kind of started a bit of a new thing. But uh, they hadn't done an album in a while. And I asked him, I said, you know, you guys are obviously still, you know, close. And, and what, you know, they had released some unreleased material and uh, and stuff and, and some remasters. And I said, well, what do you think about doing another album? And they said, well, if we're going to do it, it has to be something different. Like we've got to find something new and different to do. And you think of a band, you know, all these classic rock bands that that just they go in and cut another album and they cut another album, and they cut another album. Does it does it get stale at, at some point? I mean, does it just be like, all right, well, we're just going to write a bunch of another uh, another bunch of songs that's going to be in the vein of what we write. Um, I think you have to do these things to keep fresh. That's why a lot of musicians go out and do outside projects. You know, because they want to do something that'll keep it fresh, and then they come back to the the band with fresh energy. And uh, here's what I learned, and here's you know. Uh, so I think this was a great idea for them to do, and from what I've heard so far, it turned out really well.
All right, that's Roadrunner from Honkin' on Bobo. I love it because you can still sing the chorus no matter how drunk you get. It's just beep, beep. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, I don't know what this, I have no idea what this song is about. I'm disappointed that there's no mention of Acme whatsoever. Uh, yeah, you know, there's no coyote, but uh, I, I did enjoy this. I thought Stephen did a very energetic vocal on this and i'm loving the sound of the guitars that blend of rhythm guitar and slide guitar was fantastic uh great energy from joey uh really good stuff and and this is this is a song that normally i would really just find boring and we'd be like all right three bars and i'm like ah, skip to the next one all right i found some of the studio stuff from uh the making of honking on bobo i don't know which song this is but we'll play it and you kind of get a, an idea anyway of how it was done i mean i'm talking about people in the band when i say people i mean there are some guys in the band that just didn't see any well, they're doing uh, reason for please don't go doing this it sounded like look how much fun steven's having how can you not love that There's some Roadrunner. So it looks like he was just playing a Fender. Yeah, I think that was. Boy, he was into it, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I like that Stephen wasn't even really completely isolated in a booth. It looks like they just put a wall in front of him and, and left. Yeah, just plexiglass. It. Yeah. 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 So they got that in the mic bleed, like the, the vocal mic bleed, too. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Now, that that was really good. That, that's a that's a pretty good song, I have to say. All right, Scott asking, but if you hear that music, that means it's time to play. How many times did Aerosmith perform Roadrunner? I can tell you right now, according to Setlist.fm, 47 artists have played this song live 394 times. Now it's up to you to determine how many times Aerosmith performed it. So, uh, best guess without going over, how many times do you think Aerosmith played this tune? Wait, I, I'm debating whether this would even be a good opener or not. Like that that little bit at the beginning about the elephant would make it like a really good thing for them to play while they're walking on stage. But would the song itself be an opener? I don't think so. Um, I think they need something more explosive. I would say they tried this 27 times. 27 times? I'll go with 27. 51 times. Okay. I was looking at a set list to find out where exactly in the set they played this. So I'm clicking on the uh, set from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and uh, they played Roadrunner 6th. I will say, though, I was the closest without going over. That is true, because you're the only one playing. <laughs> I don't know if that counts. That's not my problem. Um, <laughs> yeah, I could, You've I already could heard the this. losing horn. You're done. <laughs> I could see this being a good live track. Um, but I, but yeah, not right off the bat, like something a little further in when you kind of just need a, a little bit of a breather, just play something fun. But this would be an exhausting one for Steven if he gets into it the way he did in the studio. Yeah, you got to do it early. That's why, like, again, I'm looking at the uh, Saskatoon show here. Uh, they opened with Toys in the Attic, then played Love in an Elevator, Back in the Saddle, The Other Side, Crying, and then Roadrunner. Mm -hmm. 
And then they went to Jaded, and then No More, No More made an appearance on this show. And then a couple more tracks from this record, Back Back Train and Stop Messing Around. Uh, that he was on called Shame, Shame, Shame for this record and Baby Please Don't Go. So they don't even do You Gotta Move uh, on this uh, on this show here, which is kind of surprising. Cause... Was that the, the Sonny and Cher song? Uh, that, that's a Joe Williams song. Oh, okay. American Delta Blues guitar singer and songwriter, Joseph Lee, Big Joe Williams. Interesting. Shockingly, no Sonny and Cher covers on Honkin' on Bobo. We, we have Aretha Franklin, which you have on the dice. We have a couple of Mississippi Fred McDowells. We got a Muddy Waters tune. We got a Fleetwood Mac cover that uh, Joe Perry insists on playing at every single show he's ever done since, I'm going to guess, 1912. I don't know. He plays Stop Messing Around on every show, and fans are just begging him, please do Bright Light Fright. Do, uh, you know, do, do, do something. Uh, different like like joe joe has sung some pretty good tunes um he had one on uh, on get a grip what was it, it wasn't walk on water it was help me out here scott you know oh yeah i'm what, uh, I'm, what was the joe I'm tune from uh, get from get a grip uh walk on I mean, down yeah, there's, there's like 15 walk on and down. i could guess walk on down um, <laughs> walk on down you got it right you know, i'm thinking if if they had okay so take a song like um hangman jury and you remember when, when we w reviewed that song, I was talking about how I could just feel like they're all sitting outside on the porch and, and they're all just like drinking, cooking, you know, meat or whatever. If you took that kind of atmosphere and put that on this album with the kind of music that, that they're doing, that could have been really interesting to have that feel to it. Absolutely. Yep. But um, I don't. Are you gonna? Maybe you should go back and, and give Honkin' on Bobo a try, Scott. Just listen to it front to back and and, and find out what you think. Because I think you're gonna be pleasantly surprised. They they put a nice Aerosmith slant uh, on some uh, some old uh, blues rock, which is fantastic stuff. Well, I'm kind of torn about it, Corey. And the reason I haven't um, listened to any Aerosmith other than the stuff I already knew is because I kind of like doing the first time here on the show. All right. Um, but well, I disagree we'll to that point where, only, <laughs> where we've only got a couple songs on the album left. I'll go, okay, let me, let me just go ahead and listen to those ahead of time. Right. But, uh, yeah, so far I, I have to say, uh, I really like the feel of, I love the energy and maybe part of it is just not having the pressure of writing. Yeah. Could be they're They're just playing stuff. They like to play. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that, but we got a piece of business to take care of here. We do. Uh, aside from, uh, putting a song on the mixtape and that's uh does roadrunner belong on the mixtape if it is going to go on it's going to go on side a uh, all of our deep cuts let's recap those tracks for you here hearts done time moving out no more no more girl keeps coming apart bone to bone coney island whitefish boy the farm simariah rats in the cellar and combination I i'm gonna kick it off with you scott i don't remember whose turn it is to go first so i'm gonna make you do it roadrunner Great old standard from Honkin' on Bobo. Does it go on the mixtape? And if so, what would you consider taking off? I do like the idea of having a cover to represent the band. I do like the idea of it being a cover for from this album because I think they're they're really on fire here. Uh, fortunately, we took off our cover last week. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, what, it comes it comes to bite you in the ass. Um, okay. So the the two songs I would say on on the deep cuts that I liked the least, and I know that this is going to be uh, maybe a bone of contention for you, Corey. Uh, but the two that I liked the least uh, were "Rats in the Cellar" and "Moving Out." And I know that you feel really strongly about. I think it's "Moving Out." 
I, I don't know about strongly. I, I was looking for a song that kind of encompassed early Aerosmith. That's the very first song Joe Perry and Steven Tyler ever wrote together. Yeah. It's from the first record. It, it, but, you know, Roadrunner almost kind of fits that, too. Not that they wrote this song, but it kind of encapsulates everything that you think about Aerosmith and being just a great, loud blues rock band. Like when, like when they kick in a Roadrunner, it's fucking kicking, right? Yeah. And, and that's what I love about this band. That, you know, it's kind of like what ZZ Top did to, did to the blues, too. They made it party music, right, mm -hmm. by just upping the RPMs and just, you know, away you go. The beats per minute. And, and they turn it into party music. Aerosmith kind of does that too, just in sheer audacity, balls, loudness, and just exceptional musicianship. So to me, Roadrunner kind of fits that, kind of fits that mold too. I know moving out, you know, you could say, well, you know, the production isn't the greatest, and being their first song, you know, it, you know, it's not great lyrically. Maybe we all live on the edge of town. Where we all live, ain't a soul around. You know. They obviously weren't in the pocket at that point as a band, so <laughs> uh, I don't know. I would soften maybe on moving out. Um, okay, did you have another the... suggestion? Hmm. Feels like we need a Joe song on there, which is kind of what Combination does, but this almost feels like a Joe song too, just in his guitar playing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. uh, I, you know, apologies to Kevin Brown, but maybe a Combination could be replaced with a Roadrunner. Okay, I, I so really I like what you said about about having a, a cover. I, I yeah. would prefer a cover like this as opposed to one of the Beatles covers or something like that because obviously they, they dig the Beatles. Everybody does, right? Sure, but this yeah. is kind of more more encapsulates what Aerosmith is, at least to me, right? Like dirty blues licks, scream, the demon is screaming, big fucking loud drums, nice, great fuzzy yeah. bass tone, and guitars up the ass. Like, it's... It's peak well, Aerosmith. Yeah, and I mean, if you're if you're gonna have a cover representing the band, it has to be something that they've really done something to make it theirs. And I think this they certainly did. This really feels. I can't imagine listening to Bo Diddley and getting what I just heard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just can't hear that. Uh, I I could go for that. Um, I, I, yeah, I would be open to combination. Um, I think either one would work for me. I would say I would probably. Okay, so here's here's the question I have for you about moving out. Okay. Um, are we doing historical, here's kind of the progression of the band, or are we doing what songs really best represent? Um, you could say this represents their beginning, and this because we, we're showing a progression, but that's kind of going more historical than saying mm -hmm. these are the nine songs that you should check out on this side of the tape if you want to see if you like this band or not. And if it's a song that's not really good or, or, you know, isn't up to that kind of snuff, would that be one that would belong on the final tape? And something else to consider, too, is that there's maybe another track from Aerosmith's first record that, uh, well, there's actually a couple that I, I think are going to, you know, garner serious discussion on the all-time top nine, and that's Mamakin and Dream On from that record. So we... we probably going to have that Eric covered anyway with maybe better tunes than, than moving out. So, yeah. Yeah. It, Dream on is going to be a tough argument because how do you not put that on there? But then yeah, I know we've got, I, <laughs> you know, but, but there, there's some that you have to, right? Like, it, yeah. How, how do you not have dream on? Right. Exactly. Course, I, I, I almost I, think the same way about Momakin. How do you, how do you not have Momakin yeah. on there? Well, now, Momakin, I, I don't think was ever a single, so that would go on okay. deep cuts, if you could believe it. Mamakin on deep cuts, wow. for crying out loud. So well, that's, that'll have that's to take off a, one of these. That's just a producer's error right there. I mean, <laughs> I, I've only heard the live version, but I absolutely loved it. 
And uh, I, I can say you're, that would be one I would not argue going on the tape. Yeah. Um, but for this one, are, so are you thinking, are you leaning more towards moving out then? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think I can be convinced I'm moving out because thinking back to Aerosmith's debut album, like I, and I, I, I fought for it because it was the first song they ever wrote together, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, you know, uh, would I put Mama Kin above moving out? Yeah, I would. So uh, I think in that situation too, here we got a track. I'm sure a hundred people out there are just yelling at their podcast players right now, screaming at saying, Roadrunner sucks. What are you talking about? Hawking up Bobo's garbage. Watch the clip where they're playing this uh, in the studio and how much fun they're having. Like, and just having fun playing music and it comes through and, and they're playing fantastic. I would be absolutely okay with Roadrunner replacing, moving out. Okay. If that's your official recommendation, Mr. Haskin. I'm, I'm good with that. But you know what, Corey, if you think back to when uh, we had our good buddy John Matola from the Deep Purple podcast on and we covered Hearts Done Time, I gave Stephen a pass for making as many sounds as he wants, because how do you mm -hmm. not just fully get into that song? And whatever your instrument is, you're going to play the hell out of it. So I kind of feel like this version of Roadrunner is the same thing. Like he just... It, it, they all brought it because they were just so into it. They were having fun. They were doing it casually. They weren't like, okay, guys, the meat, the, the green lights on, we got to be perfect. It was just relaxed and fun and throwing in little tricks. And, you know, uh, how, how do you not just enjoy that? And my favorite part of the clip we just saw was Joe was doing his guitar pyrotechnics and they pan over to Steven in the booth, big shit eating grin on his face, just having the yeah. time of his life watching his buddy, Joe Perry play guitar. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And you couldn't even hear his hand claps because the guitars were drowning him out. <laughs> but he, he still mean, he threw in the odd beep beep. Face. He did that. Uh, but big <laughs> smile on his face, moving around physically, which, you know, you really don't do a lot when you're singing in the studio. But that, again, just goes to show what a good time they were all having. That's right. So Roadrunner has found its wake. I'm kind of surprised. I got to tell you, when this rolled up, I'm like, oh, here's the first one we don't put on the mixtape in a month. <laughs> but look at that. It found its way onto the mixtape. Saturday of the Deep Cuts, replacing, uh, moving out. Uh, please uh, let uh, Scott know in on the on the Twitter or the X, and, and let him know just uh, how wrong, do you totally disagree? Is moving out an all-time classic and should not have been replaced off the mixtape? Or uh, is Roadrunner a piece of shit and we just don't see it? Because all I heard was a band on fire and having fun i might not post this episode on twitter <laughs> <laughs> but you guys all know it comes out every wednesday um no i will but it, it, it's uh it's I, I don't i don't doubt the controversy but i think the problem is is people get a, a perception in their head and then that's just the way it is and i always say if you don't like something wait a couple years give it another chance your tastes change, times change, and you may feel completely different about it. Maybe just from our discussion about how much we enjoyed it, people might be a little more open to it. So, uh, you know, give it a chance. But uh, I, I definitely think it belongs on the tape, at least for now. You know who's going to give a shit? And that's Kevin Brown. Because yeah. it doesn't have uh, Tony Banks uh, splooging <laughs> all over his keyboard on an 18-minute fucking synth solo that makes me want to gouge my ears out. You know, this is just straight-ahead blues rock. And... Gosh darn it, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, just wait till you guys get to Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, this means, uh, geez, I got to put a song on the mixtape. Yeah, you do. You know what? And I'm going to put a cover on. Yeah? But uh, it's not going to be an old blues cover. It's going to be a Doors cover. Mm, that lights my fire. <laughs> can, can you guess uh, what Doors song did Aerosmith cover in their career? 
Okay, you know what? Um, I thought I, I just actually came across a Doors cover album that I was really surprised had Ian Gillen on it, had oh. several members of Rainbow, Graham Bonnet was on it. Um, I'm pretty sure Steven Tyler was on a song, but I don't think it was as Aerosmith. I think he just was a guest vocalist. I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say, I think Love Me Two Times would be a really good song for Aerosmith. You did it. You hit the nail yeah. right on the head. Love oh, Me sweet. Two Times. Yeah, Aerosmith covered it for the soundtrack of the 1990 film Air America, which uh, starred Mel Gibson and Robert Downey Jr., if I remember correctly. They also performed it as part of their uh, Unplugged performance, where they were uh, promoting Permanent Vacation. I think they played like one or two Permanent Vacation songs. The rest, oh, they just wow. did whatever the hell they wanted. So, Well, you know, you can, do, you can get away with that when you're Aerosmith. Absolutely, especially Aerosmith at, at this time. So we're taking off Roadrunner, and we're going to put on Love Me Two Times. Looking forward to that one. All right, Scott Haskin, before we let you go, let's let the fine folks know where they can find you and what you got coming up. Well, should I also tell them about the Deep Dive Podcast Network? I guess, yeah. We have a Deep Dive Podcast Network. There's lots of shows. I read them every week. Uh, this week, I will read them. How about, Corey, you do another show with our, our old buddy, John Mariano, called Backtracks Theme Music. You do a show with our buddy, Mark Kamire, called And the Podcast Will Rock. And seriously, guys, watch out for that marathon show that we recorded. Uh, it was absolutely a lot of fun. Had some great uh, people from the network on that show. Uh, also, you do uh, the show we've been talking about with Kevin Brown, The Ultimate Catalog Clash. Absolutely fantastic show. You guys are working through the Phil Collins era Genesis catalog. Totally dig it. Our buddy Kevin, though, he has some shows of his own, not to be outdone by Corey. He's got the uh, Tom Petty Project, and he, with his buddy Randy, he's got Seaside Pond Review, a queen show. I have Uriah Heap, the Magician's Podcast, and I swear to God, I'm working on getting the Haskin Cast Podcast, which is not part of the network, but moved. It, I have to upload everything one at a time now, so uh, those shows will be back very shortly. Uh, we also have Nate and John at the Deep Purple Podcast, The Simple Man at Skinnered Reconsidered, Terry T-Bone Mathley at T-Bone's Prime Cuts on the other side, who has been teasing that he's going to have some new episodes coming. So uh, now that he's in uh, better physical repair, he's going to be uh, doing some more interviews, which is really exciting. We also have Riot Sabbath Bloody Podcast, Paul, Joe, and David at In the Lap of the Pods, Andy and Matt at Hawk Binge. We have Eric and Jonathan at Maiden A to Z, Daniel and Josh at Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Aussie podcast. I need to get like a guitar distortion pedal and just put that on my voice when I read that one because it, it just deserves <laughs> that crunch. We have Ben and Sam at Universally Speaking, the Red Hot Chili Peppers podcast, George and Hattie at the Judas Priest cast. Hattie is the only lady in the Deep Dive podcast network. We need to get, we need to balance this out a little bit. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a female band. We just need some uh, a little more variety in our hosts, I think. Uh, we also have Clay and Rye at North by South podcast, Greg and Jonathan at So Far, So Pod, So What, Quinn at And Volume for All, Sav, Nick, Stephen, Mark at Rock, I can't speak, Rock Roulette podcast, a wheel show, brilliant original idea that they uh, got from, uh, I don't know, and uh, Chaz and Greg at Regarding Lulu. Chaz, of course, was uh, on our live stream with Van Halen. And of course, we can't forget our friends Sean Geek and Fast Fret, Eric at Booked on Rock, 
and Ken Knapsack at Pop Rockin' Radio. You can go to the Aerosmith page on my website, scotthaskin.com, click on the link and download the app. And you know what? While I'm at it, I'm going to throw uh, Pot of Thunder on here because they're really the flagship uh, music deep dive podcast as far as I'm concerned. So uh, shout out to Pot of Thunder. Uh, got to hang out with Chris L. on the live stream. That was a lot of fun. And uh, they've got a great show. They, they got one of the best shows out there. And it's the reason why I'm podcasting. I heard that show and thought, hey, I can do that too. And there's other bands that deserve love other than Kiss. And of course, now they've finished the Kiss catalog. Uh, they're taking uh, requests from the listeners and they get some really varied stuff. The last show, well, actually the one that just dropped today was uh, Slither from Velvet Revolver. The week before that was uh, Anvil, Bad Dog by Anvil. And uh, some really eclectic stuff. And then all throughout the month of uh, September, they, they call it September. And they're doing uh, songs in the style of Tom Jones. So anything that kind of gets you hot and bothered, you know, a little Scott Haskin under the collar, if you will, uh, get you Twitter painted on a cool September Eve. Uh, that's what they're doing this month. It's always a great, great time. I think any show that can can start off with covering every Kiss song and end up doing an entire month on Tom Jones, you just how, how do you not go check that out? And they do a month on uh, Lou Rawls, too. February. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow songs inspired okay. by and in the style of Lou Rawls so hmm they should do like a Misfits Monday or something and really get some variety in there <laughs> but that's, they, they get enough variety thing. they they really do I mean it's it's just random songs now because it's all you know fan picked or they'll bring a song in here and there and uh it, it's eclectic is definitely the word I I absolutely love that randomness of it all so lots of fun absolutely um, that's it. That's all. Thanks for tuning in to Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited. On behalf of my co-host, Scott Haskin, my name is Corey Morissette. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, let's give the final word to Steve. Hart. So long.